0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Diplomacy Law and Policy Podcast, The Forum. Today, we have with us Malin Sundgren, who is an alumna from the Geneva Academy on International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights, from which she graduated in 2008. She studied law in Finland and graduated from Helsinki University's Faculty of Law in 2006. She has 15 plus years of work experience, including with the Finnish government, the UN and the ICRC in the fields of art international humanitarian law, international human rights law, and the rule of law. Malin was most recently protection of the civilian population advisor for the Asia and Pacific region with the ICRC based in Yangon and previously held various positions of the protection department of the ICRC in Nigeria, Madagascar and Sri Lanka, where she worked extensively on PCP as well as judicial guarantees in detention. Since December, 2020, She's regional legal advisor for the ICRC based in Bangkok. Before joining the ICRC, Malin worked for different UN agencies in Egypt and in Nepal, as well as for the Finnish Ministry for Foreign Affairs and the Finnish Permanent Mission to the UN. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And I hope that we're going to have a very, very interesting discussion on focusing it on women in armed conflicts. And I most recently read the report that was sent, uh, the gendered impacts of on an armed conflict by the ICRC. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it, it was very, very interesting in the points that I covered. So just to start off, I wanted to ask, Um. so we know that women suffer disproportionately more consequences of war than men and make up a significant proportion of civilians who are severely affected by the war. So IHL acknowledges this and it includes general and specific protections for women. Could you talk a little bit about these just to get the ball rolling and how effective they are?
1: Mm. Yes indeed, Uh, so you are definitely correct there. Uh, So basically uh, the specific protection, health and assistance needs of women that are affected by armed conflict is uh, protected uh, under IHL. And IHL then addresses these protection, health, and assistance needs of women specifically. Uh, But I think that it's important to note here right at the outset uh, that actually international humanitarian law affords women the same protection as men. So be they combatant civilians or persons who are no longer participating in the hostilities, actually all of the rules that we have in international humanitarian law um, afford equal protection uh, to men and women without discrimination. So it's it's important to note that men and women have have the same um, protection uh, um, under uh, IHL, um, and then we do have the specific protection for women, uh, like you are um, you were saying, um, and and this is like I said to because we do recognize uh, that that uh, there are specific protection and health and assistance needs of women who are affected by armed conflict. So this is uh, actually uh, the rules in IHL, you you can find rules on this both for international armed conflict. So that would be in actually all of the Geneva Conventions, you find provisions that uh, specifically protect uh, women. Um And also uh, for non-international armed conflict, whether we're talking about the common article three or the additional protocols, uh, these are also interpreted to, Uh, include the similar uh, protections for women. This is something that uh, you can find more, uh, more about in the customary law study by the ICRC as an example of sources that that we can look at when we're looking at the specific protections for women Uh, and your question uh, whether these protections are effective or not, I mean, this, this is, of course, quite a complex uh, question, are any of the protections that uh, international law or IHL offers, are they uh, effective in practice, I would say that uh, there are a lot of challenges in in uh, in uh, really applying uh, IHL to the realities uh, of the field. And and this this goes for for both uh, men and boys and women uh, and girls. Um, Mm -hmm. And and this is something uh, that we are looking at uh, more specifically in this Gendered Impacts of Armed Conflict Report. We look at how uh, women and girls and also men and boys, how everybody uh, experiences conflict in different ways. and how uh, IHL somehow could be uh, more effectively applied actually to situations Mm -hmm. on the ground by taking into consideration this type of uh, gender analysis or gender perspective when we apply IHL as we talk about in in this report. Uh, But here, specifically for women, I think that we have to recognize that there is still existing inequalities that are there so whether we're talking uh, this is really all over the world so not in one specific country but in every country in the world women are still experiencing uh, inequality <clears throat> uh, even even if you know uh, equality under under law is provided by international yeah. law this yeah. is still the reality that we have on the ground and this we can really Deduced from any of the data which is available to us and in particular in conflict context this is actually the reality for women is even more um, harsh and concerning so therefore when we talk about uh, how um, how conflict affects uh, different people I, I do think that when it comes to, to women and girls we still need to take into consideration that we know that this existing inequality means that there is sort of a compounded or an additional uh, impact on women of, of conflict, of armed conflict and hostilities. So it impacts everybody in different ways, but women and girls are specifically impacted because of this uh, gender inequality, which is already there. Uh, uh, so it's, it's something that this report talks about and it's important for, for us to look at as humanitarians. I think
0: we yeah. have to really
1: consider gendered impacts of conflict, whether we talk about women, men, girls, or boys.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to me because um, just drawing from my own experiences, I did work in South Sudan for one year um, in the development field and they built this really, really nice health center. Um, which was gonna give, you know, free healthcare, free nutritional needs to children and like deal with mothers and you know, weaning children as well. And none of the women were coming. And then they went out into the field and they were asking them, why aren't you coming? And they were saying, Oh, we can't walk that way because the armed groups are prevalent there. And we know that if we go there, we're gonna get raped. And it was just mm-hmm. then, you know, going to that extra mile and being like, okay, how do we get them safety in the sense that they can actually come and avail these services that they so critically need.
1: Exactly. That That's in- one of the gendered yeah. impacts. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. It's one of the gendered impacts we mentioned in the report, the access to justice, uh, sorry, yeah. access to services problem that we have in situations of yeah. conflict. We also have data showing that uh, boys and men actually have, when it comes yeah. to sexual violence, uh, which we know happens to everybody, and boys and men actually have also a particular issue of accessing services yeah. when it comes yeah. to those kind of cases. But otherwise, yes, it's more, uh, it's, it's a big issue for women and girls, yeah. for sure.
0: And and it okay. is interesting because IHL, especially when we're looking at the Geneva Conventions, they were drafted in 1945, and the conversation has moved on so far from then. Um, so Indeed. we've seen, yeah, and so especially in Article 27 of the Fourth Geneva Convention, it mm. says women must be especially protected against any attack on their honor, and it goes mm. on to you know clarify rape, enforced prostitution, any other form of indecent assault. Yeah. And so the notion of honor now is quite outdated. And I I read a bunch of criticism about this, uh, that women should not be protected due to archaic conceptions of chastity Mm -hmm. or modesty. But when when it Mm -hmm. comes down to it, I'm like, substantively, the law is there in terms of the protection it offers. So do you think Mm -hmm. it matters? I I mean, for lawyers, it really matters. Words really matter. Right, um, but do yes. you think that it's that valid, or do you think as long as we have mm-hmm. some statutory protections there, the wording mm-hmm. doesn't matter so much? It would be nice.
1: Yeah, I think I think it really matters very much, and uh, <laughs> the key the key here is really to 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 start by acknowledging that you know uh, when when the when you look at the drafting history of the Geneva Conventions, I mean the drafting of the Geneva Conventions uh, at the time was really informed by, yes, a very outdated view we could say on on gender and and, and on sexuality as well so and, and and very much a gendered view actually of the role of women and men in yeah. armed conflict so this is something that we openly recognize also in this uh, report but I think we've been talking about it for some time thankfully now mm-hmm. um, and so by starting by acknowledging that that this uh, this is um, uh, this is an issue um, and uh, yeah, and looking at, I mean, when you look at the terminology in the Geneva Conventions, like you said, uh, it is definitely outdated. It talks about women uh, as victims um, and doesn't yeah. really recognize uh, the role of women, <clears throat> other roles that women yeah. have in armed conflict. Um, so it's important to acknowledge that. And then what's been happening lately, uh, the past uh, years, and what's happening at the moment is that the uh, it's, it's actually a very interesting development um, in the well development of IHL and of its interpretation in specific we are uh, we have been working uh, very hard actually the past years in starting to update the commentaries to the Geneva conventions okay. and if you look at the uh, original commentaries yes we have some of that very outdated language in there mm-hmm. as well now uh, when it comes to the even the definition of sexual violence, for instance, this has finally been updated in the commentary to the first Geneva Convention. So there oh. you will find finally an mm-hmm. updated interpretation also of uh, IHL provisions that regard uh, regarding to, to sexual violence or the prohibition of sexual violence in international law which is very similar to the definition that we have in the rome statute of the icc so there are some important developments in that commentary then uh, i think last year we have published a commentary to the third geneva convention updated mm-hmm. commentary yeah. uh so that's about detention right and mm-hmm. there is a lot of prov- provisions in ihl that specifically are about women uh, detainees so these can be uh, women combatants who are detained as prisoners of war or then Mm. Detained by armed groups, if we talk about internal armed conflict. Uh, So there is a lot of provisions uh, on that. And some of the language there also, and some of it was quite outdated. So there, again, the updated commentary, I would really encourage to go and really look at that in detail because it addresses a lot of these gender aspects um, and has really updated. uh, It it really includes an updated interpretation of, of IHL in that regard, like regarding the provisions that concern women. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the geneva convention three and um and uh in addition to that at the moment uh there is an ongoing work then on the up- updating of the commentary to the fourth geneva convention later we'll be doing the same with additional protocols um <clears throat> it's quite a long process we have peer reviewers, mm-hmm. external ones uh, for that. So mm-hmm. it's ongoing at the moment. And as you know, the fourth convention is about protection of civilians and on situations yeah. of occupation. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting work indeed. And there's gonna be a lot of updates again on the interpretation yeah. of IHL when it comes to gender. So this is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and it's linked to the gendered impacts report because there we also talk about exactly protection of civilians issues, uh, yeah. principles of the conduct of hostilities, how we can apply gender lens to that, as well as situations of occupation and and, and women.
0: And it it was really interesting for me reading the report because I really liked how they looked at the the stereotypes allotted to men and to women. Um, And I wanted to, to ask you a little bit more about that because I... I Mm -hmm. kind of got into gendered notions of IHL through Orly Stern, who was talking about women participating in DPI aging, directly participating in in hostilities with armed groups in um, African conflicts. And she argues that formally equal laws cannot achieve substantively equal results, and that IHL tends to paint women in one of two ways, as victims or as mothers. And she actually highlights Mm -hmm. the fact that out of 42 provisions that deal with women, More than Mm. half refer specifically to protecting them as mothers. Um, So, how can we improve IHL to address the vulnerabilities Mm. of conflict going beyond these specific protections? And given how Mm. women are increasingly participating in armed conflicts, how do we get away from these uh, stereotypes of um, passivity and female weakness? And especially when Mm. we're looking at how they interact with armed groups, it's just such a fascinating way about, and and she really talks Mm. about it in the sense that these women go to their watering holes and they collect water, but they're actually going there to spy for the armed groups and to collect information. Um, Indeed. Is it time yeah. to do away with these seemingly gendered perspectives and I, I noticed Absolutely, that there yeah. Touches yeah. On the fact <laughs> we don't want to widen the definition of DPIH because we don't want then women mm. to be targeted, but it kind of at the same time also says let's do away with all of these let's move away from that, you know women like men mm. aren't just combatants women aren't just civilians.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's extremely important. So I I, I would, um, when it comes to the development and interpretation of IHL, it's again through the work on the on the commentary, updated commentaries, Mm -hmm. that we are really doing this this uh, this work. So that's that's an important uh, work in itself. But um, I think that yeah, in the ICRC also. I think that this gendered impacts reports is a good example of that, you know, well, we are also getting better at our own gender analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, But there is really a a big effort and it's not just the ICRC, I think it's overboard like humanitarian and academic and otherwise uh, to really uh, try to talk about uh, impacts of conflict, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. not only on women, and children, specific, but, but also basically on everybody. And then on about gendered impacts uh, when it comes to both men and women and boys and, um, sorry, men and boys. Um, so, you know, we're broadening sort of a little bit um, the scope of what we're talking about. Uh, and also, yes, very importantly, acknowledging that women have a much more complex role. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as simple as it, as, as it may have a, appeared uh, to the drafters of the Geneva yeah. Convention. But, but mm-hmm. women these days, of course, they, they are increasingly, uh, they have different uh, combatant functions. Yeah. They would be participating in hostilities or they would have other important functions in the military or in armed groups. And, and that's something that we have to acknowledge. But I think that this is this is even yeah not only humanitarians, like I said, but even militaries and governments are increasingly talking about this, and somehow acknowledging that that, that women do have uh, those roles um, as well. Um, so that's really good, and that's important to continue. You know, to highlight to highlight this. That's something we want to do. We want to do, and we're trying to do also with this report. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I I know this uh, discussion that you're referring to about the direct participation. uh, There's been a lot of discussion on that indeed, I think, the past years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very interesting and it's quite complex. Like on on the one hand, we really want to acknowledge this more complex role of women in armed conflict, like I said. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we also don't necessarily want to broaden legal definitions because we think that that might actually lessen the protection that, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that uh, women or combatants in general have under mm. IHL. But, but like I said in the beginning, like for us really, IHL, any rules that you are talking about should provide equal protection to men and women and not not specifically you know uh the one or the other it's it's important to like somehow get away from this uh, notion of women being like the innocent uh civilian so but it, it's complicated of course i mean we talk about the it, it in the report a lot when it comes to the principles of conduct of hostilities like we we talk about how um there is this gender bias you know that we we, we know that it's there um, and when we talk about militaries how how do they apply IHL in practice, you know, when it comes to the principles of conduct of hostilities, are they, are they uh, aware that gender inequalities are there? Um, are they aware of any of these issues that we're talking about mm-hmm. here? Like, you know, this would be extremely uh, important. <clears throat> so, yeah, there are a lot of recommendations in the report in that regard, but we can get back to that. Maybe, mm, yes uh i think the sort of the key takeaway from the report is really that um we think that uh any rules of ihl uh you know if if you apply and interpret ihl with a gender lens somehow if if you acknowledge that there is um uh there is a gender aspect of this civilian harm which happens in conflict then uh, we really do think that this this uh Uh, this can work as to sort of generate better protection, if that makes sense, in practice for both men and women, you know, whether we talk about situations of conduct of hostilities or or direct participation or other. Mm. And
0: it's so important to maintain that balance between ensuring that there isn't the erosion of civilian protection and also maintaining the integrity of the IHL regime and the principle of distinction and who can be targeted and who, who can't be. Um, yeah. One of the most interesting things for me in the report was uh, when I looked at the notion of what is a reasonable military commander and the idea mm. that, that reasonableness has generally stemmed from a perception that a man would be in that role and he would be deciding X, Y, and Z, and and Mm. moving on from that. And especially the principle of precaution in that the effectiveness of the warning should take into account um, Mm. the perspective of the civilian uh, population that is to be affected, but especially women and girls who generally will spend less time Mm. outside of the house and also have lower literacy rates and the digital Mm. divide is much greater. So how are you going to give those warnings to tell civilians to clear an area and ensure that women Mm. And then um, a recipient yeah. of those things I, I, and the whole idea that this links to a reasonable military yeah. commander and what that means and encouraging more women in decision-making roles is something very interesting mm. to me because as as a minority women we've kind of seen that you get tokenistic representation, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. actually lead to effective meaningful change for women on the ground it's, it's the whole idea that Okay, we're talking about yeah. ceilings, but we should be looking at the basements and looking at what's happening to women in there. Um, so, mm. do you think that there is a way to ensure that this goes beyond tokenistic representation?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I think we're really at the beginning of this discussion, so it will yeah. require a lot more than uh, than this report. Uh, you know, for the for the for the recommendations that we have in there to become to become a reality. But but yeah, I, I think it's extremely important. We, we always talk about this at the ICRC when we're also training uh, military and police, for example, or to any audience that we would be talking about the principles of IHL and the conduct of hostilities. Um, we're talking about the cardinal principle of distinction, right, between military yeah. and civilian. Then we talk about the principle of uh, proportionality where the military commander has to, has to weigh basically um, between uh, 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 the civilian harm that can be foreseen of an attack mm-hmm. and the military advantage that can be foreseen. And, and what can be foreseen actually in that sense is, is, is what a sort of a commander could reasonably be expected to know at the time <laughs> when he is planning or uh, executing an attack. And it's mm-hmm. the same with the precautions. They are also supposed to take then all these precautionary measures in that moment when they are planning or, ex- and when they are executing the attack as well because circumstances can change right when you are in the conduct of hostilities uh, between the planning and the execution Uh, but yeah all of all of this like you know what does it mean in practice for 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 women and men and 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 and, and, uh, boys and girls you know uh, like I said, everybody is differently impacted. And this military commander, like what, what is the level of awareness that he has in, in that moment? What mm-hmm. can be reasonably uh, expected? Like, So we, we really, really encourage in, in this report and what, in our dialogue, we try to encourage mm, more research about this because we really need gender disaggregated data on exactly you know the, the different uh, impacts of, of conduct of hostilities on all these. Yeah. Uh, on everybody <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and we need some more, uh, we need more research uh, on this, this would be very important, but we also need to address the gender bias that this commander might have. So mm-hmm. uh, in that moment when he's deciding about any of these um, principles that he is supposed to take into consideration I mean he would need to be trained actually in, in, in being able to apply some kind of gender analysis to the decisions that he's making and I would yeah. say that in that yes some militaries are already quite advanced like if you look at uh, some of the Nordic countries you already have this type of training for the military uh, but, but, but it is just the beginning really and you have some and military manual way. mentioning this yeah. stuff but
0: Mm -hmm. We are
1: really at the beginning uh, of this, so it would require a lot more, you know, training uh, and a lot more um, investment by both states and not to speak of the armed groups as well Mm -hmm. on this for this really to to be able to be a reality.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to us today. Um, I think this is a really, really interesting discussion about the gender perspective on an armed conflict, and we're going to have a bunch of articles coming out about this. So we, we're focusing on children's role in armed conflict and women in armed okay. conflict, their participation, and also the notion of them being civilians and the gender stereotypes present in the Geneva Conventions and additional protocols. Um, so thank you again and thank you, you so much enjoy the discussion and uh please tune in for future episodes thank you bye
1: thank you so much for that